Hey, everybody, quick content warning here. We're going to be uh, talking about racism and uh, racism-motivated violence. Uh, so if that is something that you have a hard time listening to, this may not be the episode for you, uh, and, and you might want to skip to a different one. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. Before we started recording, there was a brief pause there where I tried to remember if we did jokes for uh, for biography episodes. No, not really. Because like I was trying to figure out something because we're talking about Ida B. Wells. And I was trying to think of like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Something like that. I was mm. almost there. But then I was like, you know what? I'm reaching for it. Yeah. It's not there. It's not in my heart. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome back for the second episode this week. Um, we and, do what we got to do. Yeah. And if you missed it because you're like, Spanish comes out on Fridays, then make sure you go back and listen to that Wigs episode because mm-hmm. I thought it was a real hoot and a half. Oh, boy. But this time we're doing another one of our, I'm just going to say it, hit biography episodes. Oh, yeah. So we're talking about Ida B. Wells. And I'm not going into this one completely blind. Good. Because I know Ida B. Wells was a journalist. Mm-hmm. I know uh, that she was a woman of color, mm-hmm. and uh, I know she was awesome. Yes, all those are true. Um, and she was a journalist and activist. Uh, you know, you might have heard about it in seventh grade civics class. Uh, she's normally lumped together with people like Ida Tarbell and Upton Sinclair. Yeah. Uh, but Wells was, uh, as we will go on to discuss later, famous for particularly her work on exposing racism and lynching in post-Civil War America. Okay. So ultimately, her life is one of risk and courage and ultimately the power of journalism. Okay. Yeah. Well, Um, I'm I'm excited. Yeah. Good. And I'm ready. All right. And I'm here. And I'm present. You are. And I'm ready. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Ida B. Wells was born an enslaved person in Holy Springs, Mississippi, on July 16, 1862. She was the oldest daughter of James and Lizzie Wells, who would go on to have six children in total. Uh, About six months after Ida's birth, the Emancipation Proclamation freed her family from their bondage, but... That didn't mean that things were easy. Yes. I mean, uh, hey. Yeah. That's a spoiler, folks. That's not how it worked. <laughs> okay. The Wells family stayed in Mississippi for a while, so they faced some intense discrimination. Uh, and luckily, Ida's parents were an incredible role model when it came to fighting for change. Um, Both her mom and dad were politically active during the Reconstruction era, and her father James worked closely with the Freedmen's Aid Society, which supported bringing in teachers from northern states to educate newly freed enslaved people and their children. Well, that's cool. I I think that's a great thing, and I'm glad it happened. (laughs) And he went so far as to help start a school for the newly freed people, called Shaw University. Cool. I mean, and 
It is cool because it's still around today. Get out of the town. Shaw University became Rust College, and it still operates as a liberal arts college in Mississippi dedicated to black excellence. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Little setback. Oh, no. Around this time is when yellow fever began to ravage the area. Okay. It started in New Orleans in the 1870s. And it just spread up and down the region. Oh, boy. Um, so her family suffered some losses, uh, both of her parents and one of her younger brothers. Oh, man. Right. Um, but Ida was determined and resourceful. Um, and so at this point, right, she was born in um, 18... 18- 62, and this was the mid-1870s, right? So that makes her... Maybe like 14 or 15? Maybe 14 or 15. Um, She convinced the administrator of a nearby county school that she was 18. Nice. And with some smooth talking and demonstration of how intelligent she was, she got them to hire her as a teacher. Okay. All right. That's like some origin story like High points. I mean, here's the thing. People have made movies with less of a premise than that, right? Uh, I like, okay. Totally. Uh, In 1882, she moved to Memphis with her sisters to live with her aunt and be close to brothers who had worked as carpenter apprentices in the area. Okay, so still kind of hanging out with family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Seems close. I like that. Okay. Working working with uh, siblings. I appreciate that. Okay, great. (laughs) And that's where she attended uh, Fisk University in Nashville. Okay. And this is when... Ida puts pen to paper and really starts her work as a journalist. I um, just love, by the way, I was just it just occurred oh, to me that the structure being the order was, I'm going to work as a teacher for a while and then go to college. <laughs> just I I just I like her already. I like her uh, tenacity. Indeed, her um, moxie, moxie, her chutzpah. Oh, her. Vim and vigor, mm-hmm. her brassiness, mm. her cool stuff. <laughs> so close. Mm. Okay. Um, I just went one too far, you know, just like walking down a dock. <laughs> one plank too plop, far. Yeah. Plop into the water. Yeah. Um, this is when she started writing under the pen name Iola. Um, and a number of her articles were published in the early 1890s in black newspapers. She really started to gain a voice for fighting against racial injustice. Uh, she became the co-owner and editor of the Memphis Free Speech and Headlight newspaper late, and later of the Free Speech. Okay. that was That's probably a better, more succinct way. To yes. Say it. Yes. Yeah. A lot of there were a lot of words in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So we mentioned the subject of most of her writings, and it is because that is what her experience in the world was like. Mm-hmm. Um. For example, in 1883, she bought a first class train ticket from Memphis to Woodstock, Tennessee, uh, where she was going to go teach. She had paid for a high-class ticket, but the train crew ordered her to move to the segregated car designated for black people. 
Um, understandably, because, I mean, money spends. Yeah, right. right. Understandably, she was outraged and openly refused. Um, then they forcibly removed her and she bit one of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. She I, I, everything except for that last part, I was like, oh, man, oh, no, no, no. And then she bit one. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, she went on to sue the railroad company uh, with the help of black lawyer uh, Thomas Frank Castles. She won a $500 settlement in a circuit court's court case, but the decision was later overturned wow. by the Tennessee Supreme Court because nothing gold can stay. Yeah. Okay. So this may sound... Familiar to some people, but she was dedicated to fighting not only physical injustices, but also vote suppression, mm-hmm. uh, vandalization of black-owned businesses, uh-huh. um, and then lynching. Okay. good. All good things to be against. Indeed. She wrote her first uh, lynching piece. In 1892, when three African-American men named Tom Moss, Calvin McDowell, and Will Stewart, who owned a grocery store in Memphis, they were very popular in the area uh, and highly successful. But there was another major grocery store in the the area owned by a white guy. Mm -hmm. And his supporters and the white guy, they clashed with these men on several occasions. Um, but at one point, the three black men had to physically defend their store from attacking white vandals. They were arrested and brought to jail, but they didn't get a chance to have their day in court because a lynch mob broke into their cells and murdered them. Oh, God. Each one of those men had been friends with Ida. And she vowed that she wouldn't take another murder lying down. I, that's one of those moments of like, how do you even respond to that? Well, like, I didn't know how to respond. She launched herself into probably like the most difficult investigative reporting she'd ever done. She set out to do a complete expose. She analyzed specific cases through newspaper reports and police records and interviewed people throughout the South who had lost friends and family to these mobs. And overall, she spent two months traveling throughout the South gathering information on other lynching incidents. This sounds like what I do when I get upset. Yeah. I research. Research. Dive into a book. Figure it out. Find the truth. Find the truth. And not only that, though, I would say that not to... Not to take away from you, oh, of but course to not. give to Ida B. Wells. Yes. It seems like even one step further, of it's not just I need to understand the truth myself. I need to understand the truth and then take that and make other people understand it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, it was very dangerous, as it's also kind of dangerous today, right? Yeah. Uh, to be a, a black person traveling alone throughout a hotbed of racism. Especially woman of color. Especially a black woman. Indeed. Uh, And she published these findings in several places, but one editorial seemed to really get the the Memphis, the ears of Memphis cocked towards her. A mob stormed her office in her newspaper, destroying all of her equipment and threatening that if she ever returned to Memphis, they'd get her. 
Thankfully, she was spared because she was in New York City at the time. But the news of her destroyed newspaper office was still upsetting. Mm -hmm. Um, But she never stopped writing. She stayed in New York for a while and wrote an in-depth report on lynching in America for the New York Age, which is an African-American newspaper run by another former enslaved person, T. Thomas Fortune. I'm so eager. I'm edge of my seat. I can't wait to learn more about Ida B. Wells, but first, we do need to take a short break for some thank you notes, but we'll be right back. We'll be back. We want to write a thank you note to Function of Beauty. Thank you for sponsoring the show this week, Function of Beauty, and thank you for making my hair look and smell fantastic. It really does. It's one of those things where like I can walk past you and go, mm. Yeah, you get a, I like that smell. You get a whiff of my sand cloud. <laughs> and they've got like l- lo- like what's it? Is it uh, who who's the guy with the uh, peanuts with the like cloud? Pigpen. You think pig about pigpen, pig but, but his is a dirty cloud. Right. Yours is a scent cloud. That's right. And you could smell like mango, rose, pear, eucalyptus, any of those, right? Because the way Function of Beauty works, you go and you take a short but thorough quiz, and then they create a unique customized hair formula to give your hair everything it needs to look and feel its best. So, like, I have a bit uh, of like dryness in my hair, mm-hmm. and I also have, you know, dye in my hair. And so I get something especially formulated for that, and I get to pick that smell. Plus, every product is sulfate and paraben-free, vegan and cruelty-free. And you can, like I said, mango, sweet peach, crisp pear, even subtler scents such as lavender, rose, eucalyptus. You're going to find it, and you can also get unscented. You can get it in a bunch of different forms. So if you don't want a scent cloud, you can still use that's Function okay of too. Beauty. Yeah, that's okay, too. I'm a big fan, and I think you will be, too. So go to functionofbeauty.com slash manners to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. That's functionofbeauty.com slash schmanners to let them know you heard about it here and to get 20% off your order. Functionofbeauty.com slash schmanners. Since the dawn of time, screenwriters have taken months to craft their stories. But now, three Hollywood professionals shall attempt the impossible. Break a story in one hour. That's right. Here on Story Break, I, Freddie Wong, Matt Arnold, and Will Campos, the creators behind award-winning shows like Video Game High School, have one hour to turn a humble idea into an awesome movie. Now, an awesome movie starts with an awesome title. I chose The Billionaire's Marriage Valley. Mine was Christmas Pregnant Paradise. (laughs) Okay, next we need a protagonist. So I've heard Wario best described as libertarian, (laughs) Mark. And of course, every great movie needs a stellar pitch. In order to get to heaven, sometimes you gotta raise a little hell. Oh, that's the tagline! <laughs> Check out Story Break every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I'm on the edge of my seat here. Tell me more about Ida B. Wells. She not only wrote for uh, newspapers and magazines, she wrote a book in 1893 called A Red Record, which was a a personal examination of lynching in America. Uh, she lectured, she taught, and when she heard that black exhibitors were banned from the 1893 World's Columbian Exhibition, also known as Chicago World's Fair, uh-huh. she wrote and circulated a pamphlet on her own uh, 
entitled The Reason Why the Colored American is Not in the World's Columbian Exposition. Uh, She was funded and supported by two other famed abolitionists, uh, Frederick Douglass and Ferdinand Barnett. Okay. And of course, if you thought that Ida was was engaging. I do. So did Ferdinand. Oh, oh, is there some romance? Yes, she did agree to marry him, even though it really wasn't something that she was like, she confessed to uh, aspiring to marriage. Okay, so she wasn't like interested in marriage, but it was like, all right, you seem cool. Yeah, she was, uh, she was a self-professed career woman. You know, she didn't want anything to get in the way of that. And incidentally, she postponed their marriage three times in order to keep up with her uh, rigorous speaking schedule. Okay. Yeah. Get it. So uh, he was obviously very supportive. um, And they got married on June 27th, 1895. um, And this is what she wrote about. The interest of the public in the affair seemed to be so great that not only was the church filled to overflowing, but the streets surrounding the church were so packed with humanity that it was almost impossible for the carriage bearing the bridal party to reach the church door. Okay. Okay. They had four children together, and they were married for the rest of their lives. Um, But like I said... Getting married did not slow her down at all. Um, She, in 1898, brought her campaign to the White House, leading a protest in Washington, D.C., and calling for President William McKinley to intervene to stop the violence against black people. Until you said McKinley, I was sitting there thinking, who was president at that time? Uh, (laughs) And I had no idea. Could have guessed 100 times. So she went to McKinley uh, for a campaign to stop violence against black people. Right. She went on to establish several civil rights organizations, and in 1896, she formed the National Association for Colored Women. Okay. In See, once again, well, I always feel like, and I obviously, because we're doing biographies on these people, but I always sit there and, like, I'm. it always seems like so much to do. And at this point, if I'm doing my math correctly, she's, like, 30s? Right? Like 90, right? Like 1890 something. She would Mm -hmm. be in her 30s. And it seems like she's already done a lot. Yeah. And like, I guess I've done some stuff, but I'm like 37. And it just seems like she's done a lot more than me. And she seems super cool. Yeah. And here's even more that she did. Okay. (laughs) I mean, you could fill a book, and she did. And I bet other people have too. Indeed. Um, She worked with the National Equal Rights League, again, calling on the current president, uh, Woodrow Wilson, this time. Sure. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I believe you. (laughs) To put an end to discriminatory hiring practices for government jobs. Okay. Um, She created the first African-American kindergarten in her community. And in... 1930, she even made a bid for the Illinois State Senate. Okay. It didn't pan out. But, she said, Having always been busy at some work of my own, I decided to continue to work as a journalist, for this was my first love. And, might be said, my only love. Sorry, Ferdinand. Sorry, but... Sorry, Ferdinand. He knew what he was getting into. That's fair, yeah. That's true. Obviously. Wells is no longer with us. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes. Uh, she died of kidney disease on March 25th, 1931. She was 68 years old and was living in Chicago. Uh, her husband died almost exactly five years later. Um, but 
like we said, she left behind an impressive legacy of social and political heroism, courageously fighting on behalf of the underserved. In 1971, there was a posthumous publication of her autobiography. Okay. And that led to a lot of, you know, new interest in her life and work. Um, And so at that time, there were several awards established in her name uh, by the National Association of Black Journalists, the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, the University of Louisville, the New York County Lawyers Association, and countless others. Okay. Um, And in 2016, the Ida B. Wells Society for Investigative Reporting was created. Cool. Let's see. She holds spots in the National Women's Hall of Fame, the Uh Chicago Women's Hall of Fame, the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame. Okay. And was included on the list of 100 greatest African Americans in 2002. Wow. So she's cool, is what you're saying. She's really great. Has her own museum in her Mississippi hometown and uh, in 2012, on the 88th anniversary of her death, it was declared that March 25th would be Ida B. Wells Day in the state of Illinois. Awesome. I feel like that's just like a mic drop, right? Yeah. That's awesome. A day. A day for you. But more. You deserve more. Indeed. And in 2021, there was a statue unveiled um, in a Chicago neighborhood Um, It was personally fundraised by her granddaughter, um, and it is breathtaking. So it's it's not like a bust or anything. It is three large squared pillars holding up a brass like circle. And inside the circle, there is kind of an abstract. It almost looks like kind of like fountain spray. Okay. So it it is definitely very abstract, right? And uh, a lot of the accounts of people who who watched it unveiled saw things like uh, a a rope ladder leading up to heaven, or an explosion of celebrated celebratory ribbons. Or they saw um, arms reaching down from heaven to welcome her up as she met them in the middle or, or things like that. Um, so the hope for that community is that it would become a gathering place, a place to, you know, reach out to people and talk about the racial injustice that still is pretty rampant across the United States. All right, folks, listen, this was a bit of a shorter episode, but absolutely jam-packed with really cool stuff. Once again, we do a biography, and I come away, uh, I don't know, when you put like a poster on my wall of the words that we talked about, uh, <laughs> just feeling like a big fan of Ida B. Wells. Uh, so thank you, thank you to everybody who recommended Ida B. Wells. Thank you to Alex uh, for helping us thank out you, with Alex. the research. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. Thank you to Max Fun, our podcast home. Thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, thank you, Teresa. For for presenting another wonderful episode, you can uh, support this show and other shows like it at MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Uh, If you want to become a MaxFun member, uh, your membership allows us to continue to put out episodes like this and to pay our researcher, Alex, because Mm -hmm. you should pay people for their work. Uh, You can go check out other McRoy shows at McRoy.family. You can go to McRoyMerch.com to check out 
really cool McElroy merch. Uh, what else, Teresa? We always thank Brent Bruntelfloss Black for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. We also thank Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. That is at SchmannersCast, and that's where we put the call out for questions when we do etiquette-based uh, episodes. We also want to thank Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from and to other fans, uh, go ahead and join that group. And hey, what? submit your topics. Yeah. Write us an email, schmannerscast at gmail.com, and we might feature your idea on the show um, and... We always love those idioms, so send in an idiom and it might get on the show. And that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners. Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hey, I'm Jordan Morris, creator of the Max Fun scripted sci-fi comedy podcast, Bubble. We just released a special episode of Bubble to celebrate the launch of our new graphic novel. At SF Sketchfest in 2019, we recorded a live show with Allison Becker, Eliza Skinner, Mike Mitchell, Cristela Alonzo, and special guests Jean Grey, Jonathan Colton, Jesse Thorne, Nick Weiger, and a bunch of other cool folks. We suspect he'll show signs of mutation when in a state of excitement. Now, Annie matched with him on Tinder, so she's going to act as the honeypot. I do enjoy being called a honeypot. Hey, you know what's better than honey? Gravy. <gasps> oh, yeah, can I be the gravy sack? Out now on MaximumFun.org and wherever you get podcasts. And pick up the graphic novel at your local bookstore today. Today.